Life works the way God intends when we put Him first in every area of our lives. To help us live that life, God gave us the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are principles to live by, principles that bring our relationship to God and each other closer together. They're a way to understand how God wants us to live. These commandments help us love God and love others. The Ninth Commandment says to not lie. The principle of honesty forces us to bring our deception out of the darkness into the light. And so God says, you shall not give false testimony. My mother was a bit domineering in our family. We were sort of raised on guilt. And it was, uh, you know, Chuck, you really should be doing this or doing that. Just enough to make you feel like you're worthless. I was a freshman in high school. I was about 14, I guess. And I had not prepared for a Spanish test. So in order to avoid going to school, I told my mother that I had a stomachache. Now, my mother never let us stay home from school, but I said, really, it hurts. This is really bad, and, and I, I, I can hardly get out of bed. And she said, all right, well, if you have a stomachache, then you're going to the doctor. And I'm like, all right, well, what can the doctor say? The doctor can only say, you don't have a stomachache? I, I do have a stomachache. So we go to the doctor, and he pokes and prods a little bit off and on. And I go, ow, I figure I better say ouch someplace. So I, he pokes me in the side and I say, ouch. And he goes, hmm, hmm, hmm. And he pulls my mother's side and they, they have a little conference over there. And I'm like, okay, what's gonna happen now? What can they say? You know, give me some medicine and I'll go home. Let's go, you better take him over to the hospital. You better bring him over to Beth Israel. And in about 20 minutes, I'm on a gurney outside the operating room. And at this point, I'm like, I'm not sure what they're gonna do, whether they're doing more tests, but I figured, what can they tell me? That I, I don't have a stomachache? At this point, I'm still sticking to my story because I know I could not tell my mother that, that I was making up a story because at this point I had gone way too far. About 15 minutes later, I'm lying on the operating table, arms stretched out. They're about to give me sodium pentothal. And the last thing I remember was the nurse counting down, saying, count down from 10 to zero, and I fell asleep, and that was it. I woke up, and I, in, I had my appendix out, and they told my parents that I had a stone in my appendix. They found a stone, because they had to find something. And I had to take the test the next week anyway. You know, so you never really win. I absolutely love that story. I mean, I think all of us probably have a story like that. In fact, that little snot-nosed liar is actually running the camera back here this weekend. But it's good to be back with you guys. As you know, we're in a series that we're calling 10. By now, you know it's a series uh, on the 10 Commandments. We're in the ninth week at the ninth commandment, so it means we're coming to the end. And each week we've been learning that there's a principle behind these commandments that can take us deeper in our relationship with God, deeper in our relationship with one another. By the way, I was 
actually working on next week's message and the thought hit me, um, I haven't broken all of the 10 commandments, okay? I doubt you have either. I've given it the good old fashioned college try, but I haven't broken all of them. But I guarantee you, you if you're like me, you've actually broken all the principles that are behind these commandments. So I think it's cool that we've been going through this series. Uh, This week we've come to the ninth commandment. It's in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. It says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. But to really understand this commandment, there's a few things that we need to clarify. First of all, you need to understand that when the Bible talks about your neighbor, it's not talking about the person who's living next door to you. And we know that because one day Jesus was teaching uh, and there was someone in the crowd, he's he's kind of described as an expert in the law. And he asked Jesus this question out of the blue, basically, what's the greatest commandment? And you may, may remember Jesus's reply, Luke chapter 10, verse 27. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And then he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. And and I think this expert in the law, I think he was okay with the first part of love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, strength. He was okay with that part, but this love your neighbor as yourself, I don't think he was very, very comfortable with that. In fact, it goes on to say in verse 29, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, I'm not ready to love my neighbor the way I love myself, but I am willing to have the discussion. Let's just prolong this whole process who actually is my neighbor. And you may remember that it's on the heels of this that Jesus tells a very familiar story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And he tells that story to answer this question. And Jesus' answer to that question was basically this. Your neighbor is anyone you come in contact with. Your neighbor is anyone that you come across because in the story, we have the good Samaritan walking down a road, finding someone who's been injured, someone he has never met before, someone he doesn't know, but that becomes his neighbor. And so understand when we talk about our neighbor, it's not our next door neighbor, it's anyone in our life that we come across. Another thing you need to understand is that when God gave these commandments, he was trying to help the people of Israel understand what a civilized society looked like. I mean, think about it. They have been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. Now they have to become a society. Now they have to become a culture. And God wants them to understand that a civilized society is governed by moral laws. In other words, there is a code of ethics. There's morality that is involved. And let me just say something about morality. Uh, Morality is not subjective. For example, just because the government decides one day that something is legal, that doesn't make it moral. So morality, it's not based on how we feel, what we think about certain things, is it fair, is it politically correct? To have morality, there has to be absolutes. In other words, there has to be objective morality. And as Christians, we believe that our morality comes from the absolutes from God's word, the absolutes that are, that are recorded for us in the Bible. So understand, God's trying to help Israel understand what a civilized society looks like. But the third thing you need to understand about this commandment is that it's actually a legal commandment. In fact, literally, this is what it says, don't perjure yourself. In other words, when somebody asks you a question, don't answer that question with false testimony. That's what God's talking about here. Now, let me tell you why that was so important, especially in these early days of the nation of Israel. Uh, Back in those days, okay, they didn't have CSI. They didn't have DNA. They didn't have fingerprints. They didn't have surveillance cameras, and so, If you were accused of a crime, the only way that you could be convicted would be by someone testifying against you. 
And so God wanted to make sure that in those situations, you didn't perjure yourself. For example, let's say someone was accused of murder and you came forward and perjured yourself. You didn't see it, but you witnessed that this guy actually committed this murder. That guy would have been executed. Well, God took this so seriously that if you perjured yourself, if you gave false testimony, you actually suffered the same penalty as the person that you falsely testified against. So this is very, very important to God. God says, don't do that, don't lie, don't perjure yourself. Now, I've said several times throughout this series, for example, uh, with murder, I'm not all that concerned that you're gonna go out and murder someone. And when it comes to this commandment, I'm not all that concerned that you're gonna get on the stand, that you're gonna lie under oath, and that you're actually gonna send someone to death row. But I'll tell you what I am concerned about. I'm concerned that all of us violate the principle behind this commandment from time to time, and it's the principle, it's the principle of honesty. And so what I wanna do is give you three simple ways this weekend that you can develop honesty in your life uh, to a greater degree than maybe what you have in your life right now. So let me just give you the first one, we'll unpack it. You've gotta learn to be honest with yourself. Learn to be honest with yourself. And as I was working through this series and I got to this one, I realized that this is probably the toughest principle of the 10 to get across because this is what I know about people who are struggling in the area of honesty. Now this is very, very profound. What I'm gonna give you, you may wanna write it down. This is it. Dishonest people are dishonest. Let me say that again, it's so profound. That's coming from a PE major, by the way, right? Dishonest people are dishonest. And as a result, I realize that I'm talking to a lot of dishonest people out there, but you've already convinced yourself you're not dishonest. And as you know, you can't really help someone who's convinced themselves that they don't have a problem. If they can't see the problem, they can't change. You can't help them. Uh, You see this in one of the times that Jesus was teaching in John chapter eight. You get to verse 32, and it's one of those very, very familiar verses that most of us know, we've heard before. Jesus is teaching, and he said this in verse 32, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But I, I don't know if you know how it was predominantly a Jewish audience that day. I don't know if you know how this Jewish audience responded. Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they're like, free? What are you talking about? We're Abraham's descendants, verse 33. We've never been slaves to anyone. And I think Jesus must have been thinking, are you kidding me? You've been slaves to everyone. You were slaves for 430 years in Egypt. You were slaves to the Babylonians. You were slaves to the Persians. Even right now, you're living under Roman rule. But my point is simply this, you cannot help someone who's convinced themselves that they don't have a problem. But I also want you to understand this, God cannot help you if you're not honest about yourself. And I've discovered over the years when I've been meeting with people and they're struggling with this idea of dishonesty, that often it's because they've been hurt in the past and and they've been wounded in the past and they've never experienced the healing that God desires for them to experience. And as a result, they feel like they can't face the truth. They feel like they have to live in some sense of denial. And we actually probably know people in our life that we've used the phrase, they're, they're in denial. But you need to understand if you're in denial, if you can't be honest about yourself, you're never gonna be free. You're never gonna be set free. So learn to be honest with yourself. By the way, I think we were all shocked last week when the video surfaced of Ahmaud Arbery and a video of a guy, a black man, a young man, 
running down the road jogging and a truck pulls up and two white men get out and literally assassinate him, murder him right in the middle of the street. And I think we watched that and we were shocked and we were saddened and we were appalled and we were certainly reminded that racism is alive and well. And it's not just, it's not just an American thing, it's all over the world. And I happened to be out of town the day that the video surfaced and I was kind of keeping up with social media and you could see the anger, um, the sadness, the unbelief that this kind of stuff still happens. And I know people are asking the question, when is it ever going to change? When is it ever going to end? Which brings up an interesting question. How do you actually eradicate racism? How do you get rid of racism? Well, I've learned, you know, as you get older, you figure out some things. I can tell you some things that won't happen, that won't accomplish it. For example, it's not gonna happen through education. I mean, good gracious, we can have all the sensitivity classes in the world, we can take them over and over again, and it will help, and they're not bad, but they're not gonna eradicate racism. It's not gonna be money and wealth. I mean, we could take all the money on this planet and we could divide it up equally among all of the inhabitants of planet Earth, but there would still be racism. It wouldn't solve that problem. Government can't do it. I mean, we've had Republican-led governments and there was racism. We've had Democratic-led governments and there's still racism. So why can't we deal with racism? And here's the answer. It's because at the end of the day, racism is a heart issue. And racism's never gonna be eradicated until we begin to deal with our hearts. And I guess what saddens me the most when something like this happens in our country is immediately people begin to ask, where's the church in all of this? Because if there's anyone that's been taught to love as you've been loved, to forgive as you've been forgiven, to accept as you've been accepted, it's the church, it's Christians, it's followers of Jesus Christ. And they're like, where is the church? And I gotta be honest, it's kind of embarrassing for me as a pastor because I've often thought the same thing, because this is the reality of it. The church hasn't really addressed this issue, because if we're honest, the church is also a part of the problem. And I say that because when we're assembling together for church, there are people gathering every week, sitting side by side, and there's these things going on in our heart, things going on in our lives that we've just learned to tolerate. And sometimes you would describe it as hatred, and sometimes you would call it prejudice, and sometimes you would refer to it as racism. And until we actually deal with our hearts, even the church of Jesus Christ that's made up of people, we're never gonna be positioned to address this issue. So we've gotta to get to the place where David got, where he said, search me, God. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. And I think when we experience something and we're reminded of something as we were reminded with Ahmad this week is that we've gotta to learn to be honest with ourselves. I think we will have to be willing to go before God and say, God, is there racism in my heart? Is there prejudice in my heart? Is there hatred in my heart? And when you discover it, you have to call it what it is. And the Bible says it's sin. It has nothing to do with your roots or how you were raised, or what part of the country you grew up in. It is a sin problem. And what do you do with a sin problem? Well, 
You confess, you agree with God that it's a sin, and then you repent. You do that 180, you head in the other direction. I mean, we have to get to the point where we really buy into that song that many of us used to sing as children, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. We have to begin to live that out. We have to get to the place where we can realize that every person that we look into the eyes of every day, that is an individual that was created in the image of God. That is a creature, a creation. That is a person who was fearfully and wonderfully made. So I would just say to everyone, especially those that are members of Hope Community Church, you're either part of the problem or you are part of the solution. But I wanna be the church that positions itself to be a part of the solution. And this is something that we've been working on for years and we're gonna continue to get feedback and we're gonna continue to listen how we can more effectively do this and approach it and address this issue of racism. But I'm telling you, that change has to begin in our hearts. That means that we have to learn to be honest with ourselves. Second, we gotta learn to be honest with others. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they, they said something like this? You know what, I'm gonna be honest with you. Does that bother you? Is it just me or does that bother you? Does it make you wonder, have you been being honest with me? I mean, we never have a conversation and say, you know what, I'm gonna lie to you. We don't do that, but we say, I'm gonna be honest with you. And I understand, I understand it's just an expression we use, but maybe it's something that we need to change. But my point is simply this, we've got to learn to be honest with others. And let me show you just how far God takes this idea of honesty. James chapter five, verse 16, it says this, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did James have to say that? Why couldn't James just write, confess your sins to God and be done with it? Why is it that we have to confess our sins to each other? Why is it that we have to open up and be honest with one another? Well, here's your answer. There's a humility and there's an accountability that comes along with confession. In other words, it gives us the opportunity for us to be honest with other people so that they in turn can be honest and speak wisdom into our life. But there's another reason why this is so important. Confession forces us to bring what we're dealing with out of the darkness and into the light. And that means this, if there's an area of your life where you're struggling, absolutely one of the best things you can do is, is find someone that you, that you trust, find someone that you can confide in and talk to them about what's going on in your life. You bring it into the light so that there can be healing. But this is what's interesting. Even when you do that, even when you open up about what's going on in your life, you have to decide how you're gonna take that feedback. You're gonna have to decide how are you gonna respond to what they tell you. And this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches there are basically two kinds of people in life, those who are wise and those who are foolish. Now, if you're wise, you will respond the right way to correction. In other words, when somebody shares truth with you, if you're a wise person, you're going to adapt your life to the truth. You're gonna bring your life into alignment with God's word. In fact, if you confront someone, if someone confesses and they're wise and you give them feedback, often they will hug you. Often they will thank you for loving them enough to speak wisdom into their life, but not a foolish person. A foolish person will make excuses. A foolish person will figure out a way to turn it back on you, somehow make it your fault. A foolish person, they're gonna argue with you. They're gonna get defensive. My point is a foolish person doesn't receive truth. 
I remember when I was in high school, uh, I had actually made skipping school an art form. Uh, I had a science down where it was like virtually impossible for me to get caught skipping school. I even had people standing by the phone in case they wanted to talk to my mom. I had someone for them to call who wasn't even my mom who would vouch for my reason why I wasn't at school. I had it down. And I'll never forget, I, it was a Friday, it was a beautiful weekend. I didn't really wanna go to school that weekend. And so uh, I had the girl that rode to school with me. She, she wrote my note, but even when my mom wrote a legitimate note, we would throw it away and she would rewrite my notes so these notes would always appear the same. I, I was a bad kid. But anyway, it was a Friday, I didn't wanna go to school. And so I, I decided that I was gonna go to school, I had written a note, I was gonna turn it in, and it said that I had to leave at 10 o'clock that day because my uncle in Virginia had died and I had to go to his funeral. Well, a lot of lies there because I didn't have an uncle in Virginia who certainly hadn't died and I didn't need to go to a funeral but I had a great day off of school. Well, the next day I went to work, I worked at a grocery store and I came home and my dad said, uh, how was school yesterday? And I said, oh, awesome. And he said, so you were there? And I said, of course. And he said, so you didn't have to go to your uncle's funeral in Virginia? Well. I'm an idiot, but at that point I realized I was caught, right? And what had happened was, when they signed my note, instead of me destroying it, after I showed it to my teacher that I could lead the class, I put it back in my pocket. And the next day my mom was doing the laundry and she found it and they caught me in my lie. Do you know how I responded to that? I'm just being honest with you. Not wow, I'll never do that again. I responded, I gotta figure out how to be a better liar, see? But you gotta understand, that's how a fool lives. In fact, look what it says in Proverbs chapter nine, verse eight. Do not rebuke mockers. You could put fools there. Do not rebuke a fool or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. And it's because understand the foolish person, they have something in their heart, something in their life that they can't be honest about. So that person can't be honest with themselves. They can't be honest with others. So here's my advice. Start being honest with people. You cannot imagine the freedom that comes in life when you're carrying a secret and you finally decide that you're going to be honest. Do you know why? You don't have to be two people anymore. You don't have to walk through life wondering when is the truth, the real truth about me going to be discovered. I've shared with you in the past, there was a time when I did something to someone and they would have never known, but I carried the weight of that. And then one day, God just continued to work on me until I went and told them and confessed something to them they would have never known. And it was painful and it was hurtful to go through, but I gotta tell you, it freed me up. You gotta learn to be honest with yourself you got to learn to be honest with others. And then third, learn to be honest with God. By the way, can you imagine how God probably feels when we're dishonest with him? I mean, let's say, for example, that you really, really blew it this week. You just did something really horrible. But, you know, week goes by. You've actually still talked to God three or four times since you did it, but you've never talked to him about what you did. And so every time you're talking to God, there's like this big elephant in the room. Now, let me just ask you the question. Don't you think he knows? Of course he knows. And not only does he know you did it, he also knew that you were gonna do it. 
And you know what he did? He paid the price for it anyway. Even though he knew you were gonna do it, he had already forgiven you anyway. But here you are talking to him and you won't even talk to him about it. Let me show you an interesting verse. Psalm 32, verse one, David is speaking. He says this, blessed, and we know the word means happy. So happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And you'll notice they're both in the present tense. Transitions are forgiven, sins are covered. In other words, they've already been taken away. And then he continues in verse two of Psalm 32. Blessed or happy is one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. And notice verse three. David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, this is key, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what were his transgressions? Well, we know he committed adultery with Bathsheba, covered it up, tried to cover it up by murdering her husband, Uriah. So he says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And notice what it says, you forgave not the sin. It says, you forgave the guilt of the sin. And I point that out because my guess is I'm speaking to a lot of people and you've screwed up. You've blown it, you've sinned. And the reality is God has forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven yourself. And you're carrying around the guilt, and one of the reasons you're still carrying around the guilt is because you haven't talked to God about it. This is what David is saying. He's saying, until I talk to God about it, until I got it out into the light, until I got it out in the open, until I got it off my chest, David says, I felt horrible. I didn't have any strength. I didn't have any joy. I didn't have any peace until I came clean with God. And my guess is he's thinking this. Why in the world did it take me so long for me to finally deal with it? Let me show you why. There's a little phrase in Psalm 32, verse two, maybe you missed. It says this, blessed or happy is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. Now here's the key phrase, in whose spirit is no deceit. This is what happens when you're dishonest. There's deceit in your spirit. And if you wanna know where guilt comes from, that's where guilt comes from. There's deceit in your spirit. And so you have to bring it out in the open so that you can deal with it. And you do that by being honest and you do that by being vulnerable and you do that by being transparent with yourself, with others and with God. By the way, it's interesting, uh, the origin of this sin, false witness, lying, it's linked to Satan. It goes all the way back to Satan. In fact, Jesus described his tactics in John chapter eight, verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. How descriptive is that? He speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So think about this. Every time we say something that's untrue, every time we say something that's dishonest, every time we exaggerate, every time we misrepresent the truth, every time we gossip or slander someone and it's not true, every time we say something uh, or put a spin on something that's false, every time we tell a little white lie, Jesus says you're actually linking yourself with Satan. 
But then later on in John chapter 16, and this is right before Jesus, within a few hours, he's gonna be hanging on the cross to pay for our sins, and then he was gonna be buried, and then he was gonna rise again, and then he was gonna spend about 40 days on the earth, and then he was gonna send back to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come. You can read about it in Acts chapter two. But he's trying to let the disciples understand what's going to happen, and this is what he says in John 16 verse 13. When he, the spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. Now let me just say this, for 26 years, I have had the opportunity to sit up here and talk to you guys on the weekend and share principles and truths and precepts from God's word. And I realize because I know you that many of you watching right now, you know the truth, you've embraced the truth, you've been freed up by the truth, but I'm also a realist and I realize that a lot of you are watching right now, that can't be said of you. I mean, you've heard the truth, you know about the truth, but the reality is you don't know the truth. So I thought I would wrap up this time this weekend by just sharing some truth with you. This stuff, this stuff is transformational. See, this is stuff that can change the very core of your life. And do you remember what Jesus said in John 8, 32? You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So as clearly as I possibly can, I wanna share with you the truth that can set you free, the truth that can change your life. Here's transformational truth number one. We are all sinners. Now that may be a shock to you. You may see yourself as a pretty good person, but we are all sinners. The Bible says that we've all made mistakes. It says that we're all big moral foul ups and we've fallen short of God's standard of perfection. It doesn't matter if you told a little white lie or a big, fat, ugly, hairy one, right? It doesn't matter if you stole the grape out of the produce section at Whole Foods or you actually held up a bank. It's sin and we are all sinners. I promise you, I am a sinner. Everyone you see up here on stage leading in worship, everyone, we are all sinners. In fact, we used to have a saying here at Hope Community Church, no perfect people allowed. And if you're perfect, you don't wanna come to Hope because we will screw you up. But the reality is you're not perfect. Every one of us, we're sinners. You need to know that it is a transformational truth. Here's the second one. One day our sins will be uncovered. Not if you're a Christian because your sin has been taken care of. But if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, one day you're gonna stand before God and even on that day, those small insignificant sins, they're gonna seem like huge screw ups and God's gonna reveal everything. All your secrets, all the things that you kept covered up, they're gonna be brought into the light. They're gonna be exposed. Here's the third truth. We all face a forever. Every one of us face a forever. And that forever, it's gonna be in one of two places. It's either gonna be in a place that the Bible calls heaven, where you will spend all eternity forever with a God who is head over heels in love with you, or it's a place that the Bible calls hell where you will be forever separated from God. And let me just say, if you haven't embraced the truth, if you haven't received the truth, if you haven't been freed up by the truth, you will spend an eternity in a place called hell. I get no joy out of telling you that. I don't even like telling you that. But you need to know, for some of you, that's what forever looks like. And it's because you've heard the truth, but you haven't received the truth. You haven't embraced the truth. You haven't been freed up by the truth. Here's the fourth truth. This idea of avoiding hell 
and been restored back into a relationship with God, it's a personal decision. I can't make the decision for you. If I can make the decision for you, honestly, I would stay at Starbucks 24 seven. I would say so jacked up on caffeine and I would spend all my time going before God to intercede for you on your behalf, saying, let them in, they're okay, they're good people. I can't do that. Here's the good news. The moment you're ready to say, God, I don't wanna just know about you, I want to know you. I wanna embrace you. I wanna receive you. The minute you're ready to say, God, I wanna be freed up by your grace, in that moment, this is what will happen. Jesus Christ will infiltrate your life. He will forgive you of all your sins, not just the sins that you have committed. He will go ahead and forgive you of the sins that you're involved in right now and even the sins that you're going to commit in the future. You're going to become a brand new creation. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the old is new. Every, uh, the old is gone. Everything is new. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And this Greek word for gospel means good news. That's why the angels, the first Christmas said, unto us is born today in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is good news, the gospel of great joy for all people. That includes you. It's the gospel. See, that's why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's why he lived a perfect life. That's why he was willing to die on the cross. That's why he rose from the dead. It was so that our sins could be paid for by his death, by the shedding of his blood. And then he rose from the dead to verify and validate he was the son of God who could take away the sin of the world. And then Paul comes along when he writes his letter to the church at Rome. This is what he says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Dead, you will be saved. In other words, you will be restored, reconciled back into a relationship with God. See, when Jesus in John chapter eight, verse 32 said, you'll know the truth and the truth to set you free. This is the truth he was talking about. But you know, even right now, as I share this truth with you, this is what's going on. Satan, the father of lies, he's, he's feeding you just a steady stream of garbage, you know, He's saying things like, you don't need to listen to this guy. He's already told you he's a PE major. He can't be that smart. Good gracious, you grew up Catholic. You were baptized as an infant. You don't remember it, but you're okay. Or you went through confirmation. You're okay, you know. Or remember growing up in Sunday school in that Baptist church. You never missed Sunday school. You're good. You're going to be okay. But I'm telling you, in the grand scheme of things, those, that doesn't matter. That's called religion. And religion is all about man trying to work his way back into a relationship with God. Christianity is about a relationship. It's not what we can do to be in a relationship with God. It's about what God has already done by giving us his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins so we could be restored back into a relationship with God. And I think sometimes, you know, you're thinking right now, Satan's telling you this, I wouldn't worry about it if I were you. God, I'm sure grade's on the curve. And yeah, you may have issues, but you're better than most people. You keep your nose clean, you know, you pay your taxes, you help little old ladies across the street, you don't kick the neighbor's dog. Heck, you don't even have a cat, right? I mean, you're gonna be okay. You gotta get at least a C minus, right? God's gonna let you in. Or Satan may be telling you, really? Mike sits up here every weekend and tells you how great God is and how loving he is and how kind and merciful and forgiving he is. Does that sound like a God that's gonna really send you to hell? Hey, let me let you in on something. God doesn't send anybody to hell. How about that? Ever. Never will. John 3, 16 says the opposite. For God so loved the world, and you could put your name there. So God so loved Mike Lee. How about that? 
God so loved Mike that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let me tell you something. John 3, 16, best offer you are ever going to receive in your life. It says that you are gonna be forgiven of all your sin. Not only that, you're gonna be reconciled back into a relationship with God where you can have peace. You're gonna to get to experience the life you've always wanted. You may not know it, but it's the life you've wanted. It's a life that God has planned for you. It's a life of purpose. It's the life that he has for you. And as a cherry on top, think about this. When you die, and you will die, as I always say, the statistics on death are quite impressive, one out of one, right? When you die, you will immediately take your next breath in a place called heaven, where you will spend all eternity forever with God. Listen, God doesn't send anybody to hell. If you end up in hell, that will be your choice. Your choice, not God's choice. It'll be because you decided to reject God's offer of salvation. Don't believe Satan's lies. Respond to the truth so it can set you free. How do you respond to the truth? Well, you simply say, God, <laughs> I wanna tell you what you already know. I'm a sinner. And I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sins. And right now, I am receiving that truth. I'm embracing that truth. And I just want Jesus to be my savior. And when you make that decision, this is so cool, at that moment, you will be emancipated. You will be freed up. And here's the cool thing. From this point forward, God sees you as he sees his very son, Jesus Christ. He sees you as someone who's accepted his gift of salvation. He sees you as perfect. How about that? He sees you as righteous, which just means you have a right standing before God. Let me just ask you as I wrap it up this weekend. Are you being honest with yourself? Have you made the decision to accept God's gift of salvation? I like to think of it this way. One day you will die and you will stand before God. And if God said, tell me why I should let you into heaven, there's only one answer. It's that Jesus Christ died for my sins and I embrace it, receive it, and I've been freed up by it. That's the answer he's looking for. Don't let the sun go down today until you make that decision. Why would you wanna to continue to lie to yourself? And don't listen to Satan lies. Just be honest. Just talk to him. Just come clean. And I'm telling you, he'll set you free. Let's bow together. Father, I thank you for this time we've had together and I know we're living in a crazy world right now and there's so much uncertainty but to think that the one thing we can be certain of is that you sent your son to be our savior to give us the strength, the faith to deal even with what we're dealing with right now in the middle of this pandemic but not only that, Father the worst case scenario the worst case scenario, that if I lost my life during this pandemic, what I have to look forward to is spending all eternity with you in a place called heaven where there's no more sickness and there's no more pain and there's no more sin and there's no more death. 
Father, right now, some of us are somewhat calm during this pandemic because we have embraced the truth of who you are. We've embraced the truth of your son, Jesus Christ, and it brings incredible peace because we know that you have a plan and we know that you have a purpose. And Father, so I pray for those that may be watching this weekend that are still living in that fear and that anxiety, that uncertainty about the future. May they be honest with themselves. May they make that decision right now today to accept your gift of a savior. And Father, I pray that they would reach out and tell someone. Even if they're watching online, if they wanna go to, go to the chat room and just tell one of us so that we can get in touch with them, but to tell someone that they believe so that we can follow them up, so that we can help them on this journey. And Father, help them understand this is what will change their life. Not in the few span of years that we have on this earth. Not just now, but forever. We thank you for being the God that you are. And we love you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Look forward to wrapping up this series with you next week.